It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the Huff, producing Gentle Ben, Millennial Ben, helping out on the technical side as well. Brought to you by the great folks over at Sweet Sweat. I'm telling you what, my daughter works there. She hooked us up with Sweet Sweat. They have been amazing, guys. Absolutely amazing. For all your workout and nutritional supplement needs, check them out at SweetSweat.com or at SweetSweat on Twitter. And we will be doing question mark as well for a chance to win a $75 gift bag for the folks or from the folks over at SweetSweat. So, Mike, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Just kind of uh, paying attention to some of the top storylines around the league right now and uh, continuing to watch what uh, one person called was it was it Emmett Smith says uh, the Cowboys are playing a dangerous game of chicken mm, with yeah. Dak Prescott. Yeah, you know it's it's really interesting and it's just been it has been in in my mind it's been kind of the the way not to approach your franchise quarterback and, and maybe you don't feel in Dallas that he is your franchise. Maybe you feel like Andy Dalton is the guy, and that's why you signed him with a chance to make $7 million. There's so many things that just bother me about this whole transaction. I understand that Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. All he's done is put up numbers. And here are the things I know about just contract negotiations and what's going on. You know, because I've heard a lot of people say, well, I mean, all's the, the only reason the Dallas Cowboys – Mike signed Andy Dalton was to increase, you know, the the level of quarterback number two. It wasn't to put any pressure on Dak to sign a contract, which I call absolute bullshit. Too. I don't know about you, but uh, of course there is an aspect. I think it it the majority of the signing of Andy Dalton was to make their second quarterback position stronger. But come on, Mike, really? You don't think they're trying to put a little pressure on Dak Prescott to get a contract signed? I mean, you, do you think that? I, I think there's a little bit of that, although it's only a one-year deal for mm-hmm. for Dalton. I I think they just have reservations about whether or not Dak can be that kind of quarterback. That Yeah, the numbers have been there, but the, the, the playoff wins have not followed. And look at the investment that they've made in their, their offense. They, mm-hmm. they paid Zeke. They paid Amari Cooper. They drafted C.D. Lamb. Is is their strategy? Uh, we don't need to pay a quarterback thirty plus million dollars per year. We can win with all this talent that we've put around a quarterback, and that quarterback can be just fine and be very successful, right. and we don't have to break the bank for him. Yeah, well, when has that ever been? When has that ever worked out since ninety five? Well, they got four playoff wins since nineteen ninety five. That's correct. I mean, uh, like. Here, here, are, here are the points that bother me about the way the Dallas Cowboys have handled this whole transaction. One, do you think the value of, of Dak Prescott is going down? No. Like, I understand that you, you, you don't want to usurp Jared Goff or you don't want to usurp um, Carson Wentz, right? But that's where, that's where he's going to come in at. And here's the bottom line is that if you shuffle your feet and you say, hey, play on the franchise tag and – and he puts up the same numbers he's put up throughout his career, and he should with the talent they have amassed on offense, guess what? Next year he goes his cap value number, straight cap value number, is $37 million, almost $38 million. So then what? 
Now and, and, and during that time, what if, you know, Watson gets signed? What if Mahomes gets signed? Then is he legitimately saying, well, wait, wait a minute, Mahomes got $40 million. I want $41 million a year. I'm already getting 37 for the year, and all this money goes directly to the cap this year. So right now he's going to play for almost $32 million. It all goes as as pure cap for this season. So my point has been this all along. Like, why are you afraid to set the market? Because as soon as you set the market, guess what? Somebody is going to jump over the top of that, and you no longer set the market. Right? I mean, think about this. When they signed Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo after seven starts, we were like, can you believe Jimmy Garoppolo? Only seven starts, he's going to make this much money? You know what he's making now? $27 million. And, and he took them to a Super Bowl. Like, obviously, they had a great team, but he was the quarterback that went to the Super Bowl. Bottom line is, you look at $27 million now, and what does it look like? It looks like a relative bargain, right? So it, the, the market is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to set. This is what I know, how this negotiation has gone. This is what I know for a fact. Agents and players do not release the parameters of their contract, Mike, if they're not going to sign it. So the Dallas Cowboys have consistently sent this message out to make Dak Prescott look greedy. Well, we're not going to be able to sign other players if Dak Prescott doesn't sign this contract. Here it is. We've given him this huge contract. Look, you know, look at look at what we've done. Look at what we've done. That's the team releasing that information. So it says to me that, hey, Part of the reason you signed in Dalton is to try to put more pressure on Dak Prescott. And all you've done throughout this whole journey is try to make him look or discredit him and make him look greedy. Meanwhile, while you were saying, hey, I mean, we want to be able to sign other players, you've signed other players without him signing a contract. He's going to account for almost $32 million on your cap, and you still signed Amari Cooper to a five-year, $100 million deal. And by the way, I will give Jerry Jones credit for this and Stephen Jones credit for this. All these contracts they've signed have these outs after about two seasons. I think in 2021 they can get out of the Amari Cooper deal for like $6 million in dead cap money. Like all these deals they have signed all have outs where they get out and have a relatively real small cap hit. So I just, I'm just like, hey, set the market. And move on. Yeah, but the problem with the, but the problem with and let me defend Jerry here a little bit. Okay, I was thinking about it in the shower. Yeah, uh, I'm the, sure you were. The idea that about setting the market as opposed to reacting to it. Well, I would look at Jared Goff and Carson Wentz as sort of cautionary tales about going out and setting the market, especially Goff. The deal that they went out and paid Goff. How has that impacted the mm-hmm. Rams? They've been forced to. Trade Todd Gurley. They've uh, been been forced to trade Brandon Cooks. Uh, he, uh, Goff carrying a $94 million dead cap hit into this year. And right. already they're kind of hamstrung by the contract. Mm-hmm. And they the Eagles paid Carson Wentz, and they think so strongly of Wentz that they went on and drafted Jalen Hurts right. as, a, as an insurance policy and used a second-round pick to do it. So maybe Jerry looks around at – Two teams, one of whom are in his division, and says, well, do I necessarily want to go down the Wentz and Goff path with these guys? It's not like I'm sitting on Mahomes. Mahomes, it's a no-brainer. But I, but is it, Dak's more Wentz and Goff than he is Mahomes. Yeah, you know, I mean, those are the things that you have to – those are the things you have to um, internally discuss and figure out and, and decide what you want to do. One thing, like I said, I'll give them credit – 
they've had these easy outs for them to where you're not, you know, counting $94 million on dead cap money. So, and, and maybe it comes down to Dak doesn't want to sign a deal that's really, you know, that looks like a six-year deal or a seven-year deal that's really a two-year deal with an easy out for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and I understand that as well. I just know this. You can't continue to carry – 31 million and, and 30, you know, 7 million or 32 million, 38 million um, on on a single season cap. This is not Kirk Cousins going three straight years with the franchise tag with the Redskins where he was making, you know, 19 million and then 22 million and like whatever it was, right? Like this is, these are huge figures. So it'll be interesting to see if they get a deal done. What, uh, like your gut, what do you, what do you say your gut? Would, My gut tells me they still get a deal done. Before, I think it's, I think it's July fifteenth. They don't have a deal done by July. Is it July fifteenth? Then they have to. Then he has to play under the. Then uh, have to play. The, yeah. The one year. The one year franchise tag number. I think they get a deal done. I, I think if if you're the Cowboys, you have to understand that man. You you hit on this guy, fourth round pick, mm-hmm. and not only has he has he proven himself to be a a really good player early on in his career, but you figure he's only going to get better. And now you've you've got a lot of talent around right. him. That that he should be able to be your guy, yeah. and you want to be. Th- this league is such a have or have not at the quarterback position. If you have any sense that you have a have, boy, you you hold on to that, you cling yeah. to that, because otherwise, then you're, you're you're going back into that, you're wading back into that deep uncertain pool that is. All right, what 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 am I doing now at the quarterback yeah. position? I mean, you really think it's going to be Andy Dalton? Yeah. Here here's the other thing I would. I would tell you, Mike, just from a player's perspective, and I know we've we've delved deeply into this, but from a player's perspective, you always want to see guys be rewarded that have come up through the organization yeah. and done it the right way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's oh, it's an important aspect. Now I think Jerry does a lot of things that are counterintuitive to winning, like having you know, circumventing a coach's authority and, and, you know, and having that back staircase up to the owner's office to where, you know, you can, you can complain to the owner and the owner will fix it. And, and it really, it really puts like a coach in a bad position. Like I played for two organizations. One, you know, my first four years with coached by Joe Gibbs, there's no question who was the unquestioned leader and who was in charge of that football program. Right. It was Joe. And what Joe said, go and, and, you know, and Joe was a fair man, but he cut you in a heartbeat if you weren't producing. And then I played for Mike Shanahan. And again, no question who was in charge of football operations. It was Mike Shanahan. And like, there's, there's no questioning. Like the buck stops with him. You can't circumvent his authority and go around him to the owner. Like, there's just no way you can get that done. So I've never appreciated or I've never thought the organizational structure of the Cowboys was conducive to winning. Like, I think it changed when Jerry Jones decided to fire Jimmy Johnson because Jerry Jones wasn't getting enough shine and Jimmy Johnson was getting too much. And, you know, and forever changed the structure of that organization. And I just don't think you can win that way. With that said... I think as a player, you want to see guys who get drafted by an organization um, that produce and play great. You want to see those guys be rewarded, and if they're not rewarded, if they look, if it looks like to you from, you know, from sitting in the locker that that guy is being disrespected, um, it it permeates a locker room. It's like a front office can't be trusted. So I think I think there's more 
from a psychological standpoint to this story um, that it would behoove the Cowboys to get this deal done. And I think Dak has established himself as as the leader, and and players respond to him. They look up to him, and mm-hmm. the whole subject of leadership has been in the forefront as we're all watching that Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary. And Jordan's been quite vocal mm-hmm. about what his leadership style was, and it was it was abrasive. It was in your face. Mm-hmm. It was intense. It was sometimes demeaning. It was. It was rigid. It was like you either buy into this or I have no use for you. And the lengths that he went to lead, you cannot argue with the results, but does does that kind of leadership only work in a tighter-knit group like basketball, or can you think of examples of, of it working in football where you have that demanding – Mm-hmm. of a leader. That's the, I guess that's the, the word that off, most often comes to mind for me when I, I look back at the way that Jordan carried him. I mean, demanding. Right. Yeah. I think I think there's, you know, I think Brady, you know, comes off that way yeah. to a degree. I know Peyton Manning. I mean, I've, I've watched Peyton Manning practice in direct traffic and yell at receivers and freeze guys out if they don't, if they're not in, in the spot he wants them at, at you know, at, at um, you know, the, a particular moment in time like like I've seen him I've seen him rip guys I've seen him go out there and show him exactly where he wants how like you you do whatever you have to do but I need you right here you know and he'll walk to that point and at this point in this play if you're not here man you'll never see a ball again like I've like there's no question when you talk to players that played for Peyton man he would grind on your butt he'd grind on the coaching staff like he would he would incessantly, you know, whine, if you will, to get his point, uh, or to get like I talked to I talked to uh, an all O line coach that that coached with Peyton Manning, who'd say he would badger you, like he'd be like, "How are we going to pick this up? I like picking up this way. This way, I think about this." And he goes, "Well, that's not how the protection works, right?" And he'd be like, "No, but th- th- it has to be this way. It's got to be this way, you know." And just badger you to the point where it's like. All right, if you do this, but it's got to be this way 100% of the time, you know, and, and just bash you. Okay, how do you want it done? We'll change our five, you know, our five and our back will change based upon the way you want it, Peyton. And you go, all right, but if we do this in September this way, it needs to be done in October, November, and December. And like he would just badger people, but he had a way about this is what the way it works in my brain and this is the way I want it. And you can't argue with the results when it comes to Peyton Manning. So I think there's a lot of guys that grind like that. But I think the bottom line, Mike, for me, is that regardless of what your leadership style is, and everybody has a little bit different leadership style, regardless of what it is, it has to be authentic. And I think that's one of the issues that um, like a lot of coaches fall into when they get their opportunity to be the head coach the first time is they morph into the guy that they learn from. Like, I think Bill Belichick assistants have had a a big-time issue taking over other franchises because too many many people looked at him and go, oh, okay, Belichick, right? Too many guys within the organization. I know it's it's been a problem for a guy like Matt Patricia in Detroit. And so authenticity when it comes to leadership becomes important, and and guys have to feel like you're you, like you're not trying to be somebody – other than you, I think. But, I think that was an issue here in Denver when, 
when uh, Josh McDaniel, Hurricane McDaniels took over. But are you? We hear these Belichick assistants oftentimes get criticized, but is it more on the people, the players who make up the situation that these guys are coming into? Meaning, these guys are coming from an atmosphere in New England where it was hard. Right. Winning was not comfortable. Yes. And are they – is their biggest sin is that they're bringing a demanding attitude to a place where it's been too too cute, too light, yeah. too right. soft. And, and is – when you look at the most successful NFL franchises, would you say that the majority of those franchises, winning is hard? And it's not always fun. Mm-hmm. And it is demanding. And – it's it, it and and compared to other franchises that aren't very good, or maybe it's not as hard, and it's not as demanding. Is, is it as simple as that? Well, I think is I winning think, hard. Yeah, win, winning is hard. It, it, there's no question about it. But I do believe, like in 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 those moments of grinding and being tough and all that stuff, there's got to be some fun involved, right? You got to remember that you're playing a kid's game and. And that can get lost sometimes. That that can be lost, especially with coaches that really grind. And most of the successful ones really grind. Uh, so there's a real fine balance there, Mike, and I think it's really hard to do that. But, you know, back to from a coaching standpoint or from a player standpoint, I think it comes back to you've got to be authentic. Like, I, like Dan Marino yelled and screamed at his guys, you know, just talking to guys that played for Dan Marino. But that was his style. And that was okay. And Dan Marino had a ton of success over the course of his career. John Elway, I I was in a huddle with John Elway for four years and won two back-to-back championships with John Elway leading our football team. John Elway never complained, never pissed and moaned on the sideline, never came over to us and said, you guys got to block better or any of that crap. The only time I ever heard John Elway kind of up the tempo of his voice and stuff is when we were late getting out of the huddle because we got to play in late. That That's it. And so there was a different – there's just a different mentality depending upon, like, who you are. And, and again, it has to be real. It's got to be authentic. And and that is – like, it. That, I think it's hard because obviously we're all influenced by what we've known and what we've learned, right? And, and you know, I, I believe – I believe in – in building a franchise from the inside out, I believe that the backbone of every football team is its offensive line. I believe that that you know receivers are the most dependent positions in football, and that you can you got to have good players, obviously, but you don't need prima donnas. You, you need guys that are willing to grind. I believe that you need guys that are willing to be sacrificial, you know, and and be willing to give up stats for throwing a great block, and they have to be, you know, and and that's part of of the game of football you know, the complimentary nature of football to be a really good team. And sometimes, you know, to win games, you're going to be required, you know, not to have a big role. I mean, we played Super Bowl 32 against the Green Bay Packers, and and Mike Shanahan told John Elway, I mean, he told him, hey, listen, man, you're not going to be in the running for MVP. Like, that's not how we're going to win this game. What And, and you know, the history of John Elway in Super Bowls is like, yeah, I don't give a rip. I don't care. As long as we got a chance to win, I'll do whatever it takes to win. Like sometimes you've got to have you've got to have guys all the time. Not sometimes you have you have to have guys that understand the big picture and really don't care about individual statistics. They care about the one statistic, which is winning. 
And, you know, I mean, there's a lot. It's it's complex. That's why it's hard to win, Mike. Before we get to question mark, I got one question of my own. Why uh-huh. doesn't Cam Newton have a job? I think it's uh, I think it's a, a fair question. I think one health is an issue, right? I think there is there's that issue of of is he completely healthy? Um, can you count on him for sixteen games? Because remember, the last two years you you haven't been able to. He had the shoulder injury that he fought through in 2018 that he finally got shut down in probably late November. And then last year he had the foot injury after a couple of weeks, they, they shut him down. So there is the health issue. There is the issue of intermediate to underneath accuracy. Now in 2018, he was, he was actually really good, but in his previous seasons, he's, he's been inadequate, inaccurate in, in those scenarios. And part of his brilliance and part of his MVP campaign was, hey, man, 10 design runs a game, all the play action that comes off of Cam Newton threatening a defense on the edge. Like, there were a lot of those things that really made him a dynamic player. I think think you're concerned about that. And then ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to Cam Newton. Like, if you were Cam Newton, would you really want to go, like, to Jacksonville right now, where careers go to die. Like, when was the last really good player that went to Jacksonville you ever heard from him again? Well, I mean, they were only a couple – it was only a couple of years ago. They were this close to going to a Super Bowl. Yeah. With and Blake we'll, Bortles. Yeah. I mean, but again, like, come on. Jacksonville, you, like, the only place you're Beat famous – you guys in 95. Play, yeah, they did. <laughs> When you go, when you play in Jacksonville, the only place that you're famous—you're not even famous in Jacksonville. You know where you're famous in London. That's the only place you're famous. When you play in Jacksonville, the yeah. only place you're famous is London. That's it. End of story. Nobody yeah. else knows you. And, and like, if I'm Cam, okay, if I've got to go to Jacksonville, I will. But I mean, ultimately, don't you think Cam's like, hey, I'm just going to keep rehabbing, keep working, keep doing my thing, and then. Um, you know, training camp's going to open up. Maybe somebody gets hurt, whatever, and I'll have a chance to go to somewhere where, you know, I got a, I've got a chance to start and I've got a chance to be on a decent team. I mean, Jacksonville feels like the last resort for Cam Newton. Like, all right, I'll sign there, um, you know, I'll sign there. But, uh, yeah, because I think right now you go sign there, don't you feel like you'd have a chance at, at least to beat Gardner Minshew out? Come on, is Gardner Minshew the answer? I mean, maybe he is, but – it doesn't feel that way for sure. All right, let's get to question mark for a chance to win the gift certificate to Sweet Sweat. And these are questions that uh, came in on Twitter. We'll start with uh, mm-hmm. Mayhem, at Mayhem Bandit, who asks, Mark, I played offensive line at a small college and absolutely perfected the cut block on linebackers. I felt the most important thing was getting them to the ground. I know defenders bitch about them. What are your feelings? Um, yeah, well, yeah, defenders complain about it all the time. I was horrible at cut blocking, so, um, I wish you'd have been around to, to help me, uh, you know, to help me perfect it. Um, yeah, I was, I was horrible on the backside of cut blocking. I hated doing it. I hated being on the ground because, uh, I had to get up. So, um, you know, that was, it was a problem for me. Um, but again, you know what, it's an incredible tool. Um, because ultimately from a, from just a, uh, effort standpoint and everything else, 
uh, defense is there's just more effort involved. I mean, it's reactionary. You got to run. You got to hustle. You got to go make a play. You know, if I cut you, you got to jump up and you got to get go get involved in the play. And I can just lay there on my big fat stomach. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's just a it it is like you understand when you get involved in that. You understand the toll it takes on defensive linemen and linebackers in the third and fourth quarter when you know they you all of a sudden you flash out a play action and they suck up and then they don't have the energy or the legs to get back underneath the intermediate routes and and to get to their landmarks and their spots and and that's when you can take advantage of a defense so uh, yeah especially you get third down and 12 late in the game and a guy's been on the ground 14 times his you know his tongue's hanging out and he's been chasing plays like honestly like how good a pass rusher is that guy going to be probably going to be limited to some degree and that's you know that's the beauty of actually cutting people so yeah i understand the value of it i totally understood the value of it um as a player for the denver broncos hated doing it um but understood the value of it here's one from uh, mark trusinski who asks stank if the season starts without fans What's the biggest aspect of home field advantage that would be missed, if any? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, to me, right off the top of my head is is the crowd noise aspect. I mean, like, I know the difficulty being an offensive player of having to operate your football organization through the opponent's crowd noise. And I'll just give you uh, kind of a for instance. When we used to travel out to Kansas City, um, we used to eliminate all seven-step drops. Like, we just said, hey, we're not going to run a seven-step drop. We would elim- like we would eliminate – there was a percentage of your playbook. I don't know. Let's call it 30% of your playbook that you would just throw out. You're like, hey, man, like, we can't operate these things because crowd noise is so – it's so deafening. So, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you get the opening kickoff and you're at the 20-yard line. And your whole playbook is open to you because you're not worried about, you know, you're not worried about your edges, like your your offensive tackles missing the snap count because it's so damn loud. And so now your whole playbook is open to you, Mike. Like, you understand what an advantage that is? Like, crowd noise and, and home field advantage, it's real. And, um, and, you know, that's why – that's why when you can get up on a team and you can score and you can get the fans to sit on their hands and, and then all of a sudden you just can orchestrate, like that's that's a huge thing. So right off the bat, you don't have any crowd noise. That's a that is a you know that's a win for the visiting team. Got one here from uh, Marshall who asks, "I live in a different state. Can you t- please rate the Broncos' chances?" And uh, th- this is an interesting team because take just the two people you work with at Fox Sports FS1. Nick Wright thinks they go three and thirteen. Mm-hmm. Colin Coward thinks they go ten and six, and that Drew Locke has the best MVP odds of any second-year quarterback in the league. Where yeah. do you come down? Yeah, I come down somewhere in between there. I mean, I, I like I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of good. Like I think defensively, although there are some holes defensively, I think cornerback is is a question mark for the Broncos. I think linebacker and underneath coverage is a question mark for the Broncos. But, you know, I think they've added, obviously, they're going to get Bradley Chubb back, who is a phenomenal player coming off an ACL injury. Vaughn Miller, who had an off year last year, he should be back ready to roll. 
Um, Jarrell Casey's a really good player, especially in the run. He's an a outstanding run defender, really understands the game. So, like, they should be really good there. They're really young and look like they're dynamic athletically on the offensive side of the ball, Mike. But, you know, I think a lot of teams or a lot of people are looking at that going, look at all the weapons and look at all the, you know, with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton and then Jerry Judy, who is the most polished receiver in the draft. And, you know, the K.J. Hamler kid who can really run out of Penn State and, you know, and then and all the all the weapons they have with Drew Locke, like that's going to be awesome. And, you know, I take that with a bit of a grain of salt because I'm like, well, they still have some offensive line question marks. Uh, Garrett Bowles is still going to be playing left tackle for them. They're going to play in a spread, more spread, uh, you know, three wide receiver featured offense, which puts a little bit more pressure on offensive line. Um, and, and then all these young players that they're counting on to contribute, like they're counting big time on them to contribute, are not going to be able to practice. I mean, you can do all the Zoom meetings you want. There's nothing – that substitutes getting on the field, getting your cleats in the grass, and really understanding and really learning it that way. So right off the bat, um, they're going to be learning and trying to develop an identity uh, when the season starts. Like that's that's going to be four, five, six weeks of trying to figure out exactly who they are, what they like, what they don't like, Mike. Like that, that to me lends itself to, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight. That's kind of what it feels like to me. And, um, I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that wants to go through, I think this is a win, that's a loss, this is a win, this is a win, that's a loss. I, I don't like going through the schedule like that. I just look at them in totality and say, you know, based upon the division they play in with the Kansas City Chiefs, who they haven't won and they haven't beat the Chiefs in nine games, um, the Chargers, I think, are a much better football team than what their record showed last year. And I think they'll be much improved. And I think the Raiders are a much improved football team. So, you know, I I think they're an eight and eight ish team. Couple of quick fun questions for you from Nick. What is your proudest moment? Any of your Super Bowl wins, your son making the major leagues, or that first batch of green chili? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, there's no question, and it's not close. Watching my son trot out oh. in the sixth inning against the Atlanta Braves and throwing a scoreless, a clean scoreless sixth inning. Um, was the thrill of the the sports thrill of my life? You bawled it, like a baby, didn't oh you? Oh my god, I cried like a just like a <laughs> three year old. It was um, it was unbelievable. And I'm not laughing at you. I would. Right. I, I can only imagine. I think any dad listening, can you right. imagine your son making it to the major leagues and what that feeling would be like? I'd 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 be weeping. You, you know the crazy the crazy thing was is I, like during the game I was just so nervous. I didn't cry during the game, um, or after he threw the inning. I cried when I saw him on the field in batting practice and he came up to the stands to say hi to us in his uniform for the first oh. time. And I like uncontrolled sobbing, <laughs> snot, you know, the, the bubble that came in and out, in and out, snot. Like to the point where he was like, it's going to be okay, dad. <laughs> like, like, uh yeah. Oh, and that's awesome. Where people are like, oh, look, you know, other people in the stand, oh, look, you know, I'm just like, uh, it was. Uh, and it at this was, point, you're still about, what, 280 pounds? No, 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 no. I was uh, I was actually skinnier than I, much skinnier than I am now because I had retired and I actually, at that point, I was, you know, actually. Uh, Cared about what you ate? Yeah, yeah, pretty fit, you know. I was probably 235 Okay. Maybe two, four. Uh, speaking of which, this is the last yeah. question. This one comes in from um, 
two, 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 tough gong five. Mark, what has been your go-to quarantine workout? <laughs> oh my gosh! Every morning, walking sixteen steps. Yeah, every morning, <laughs> I wake up and I walk. the uh, The grueling commute to work for me is the sixteen steps from upstairs down to the study to get on and do my radio show with uh, you. So that's been my that's been my go-to workout. I haven't done. I really haven't done squat. Um, occasionally walk with my wife. I like to work around the yard. I mow the yard. Like I haven't, I really am. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to do it. Well, I, I would say I'm trying to do it through diet, but I started yesterday trying to do it through diet. So hmm. yeah, I put on my, I put on my COVID-19 uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to, I'm trying to cut back. Is that on, the new uh, term? It used yeah. to be, it used to be the freshman 15. Now yeah. it's the COVID-19. Yeah. I put on the COVID-19. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently um, in the process of uh, and uh, consequently <laughs> here to four as it were uh, losing some weight. Uh, right. Yeah, let's I really pick, haven't worked out. Let's pick a winner. Uh, what do you think? Anything? Okay, I'll let I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to pick the winner. Mm, you, I think you, it comes down to the. I like the cut blocking question because I always uh-huh. like some of the ins and outs of uh, of football. I also like the because it's such a, a huge story with the possibility of sports without fans, just uh, the the impact and, and how that will be felt and, and how it will affect games. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of down to those two. Okay. Hmm. Millennial Ben, you got you've been listening. You have a you have a thought. Millennial Ben not paying attention to me. No, he wasn't. He not wasn't paying listening. attention. All right, yeah. I'll tell you. What, let's go with the uh, let's go with the uh, the cut block question. I think that was kind of cool. I like the uh, okay. I like those kind of questions. The uh, the real ins and outs of uh, of football. So that uh, that one goes to. Uh, hold on a second. Let me find our guy again that uh, just won that. Hold on one second. Hold uh, on. Why don't you tell them what they won? By the way, I'll give you the uh, name. By the way, it's second. a seventy-five dollar or so gift package. Uh, could be more. From Sweet Sweat, which um, I'm not exactly sure. They're just going to put together a great little package for you and send it your way. But it's a value of about 75 bucks plus. So yeah, it's really from cool uh, stuff. at Mayhem Bandit. So good at job, Mayhem Bandit. Oh Lord, I get it. I'm going to have to go find that so I can. Uh, uh, there we go. I got it. Mayhem Bandit, right there. All right, all right. I will follow you, and I will direct message you. Um, and um, and we will send you a, a nice little gift bag. How about that? All right. Good show. All right. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that, man. Always great to be with you. So uh, anyhow, uh, for everybody involved in the Sync Truth Podcast, for Mike, for Scott, for Ben, for myself, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the fine folks over at Sweet Sweat, sweetsweat.com, for more information for sponsoring the show. Also, Mark's All Pros Referral Network. Check that out at Mark's All Pros building the best referral network in the nation. That's Mark's All Pros. For everybody involved, man, we thank you guys, and we will be back with you next week.